Welcome to AJHP Voices, a series of discussions with AJHP authors and interviews focused on contemporary practice issues. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP, and its mission is to advance science, pharmacy practice, and health outcomes. Hi, this is Daniel Koba, the Editor-in-Chief of AJHP. Thanks for joining us in this episode of AJHP Voices. Today, we'll be discussing the article, ASHP National Survey of Pharmacy Practice in Hospital Settings, Workforce 2022, which was recently published on AJHP.org. Our guests are Dr. Craig Peterson, Regional Manager, Virginia Mason Franciscan Health and Clinical Professor, University of Washington, and Dr. Michael Ganio, Senior Director, Pharmacy Practice and Quality at ASHP. Craig, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you, Dan. It's nice to be here. Well, Craig, let me start off with you. For many years, the national survey focused on components of the medication use process itself, but that changed recently. What's the focus at this point? We did transition away from the six steps of the medication use process a few years ago because we recognized that the interest in hot topics was increasing each year that we did the survey. And so what we've done is we've really tried to focus on what the most important issue in hospital pharmacy practice is for the current year. And so for this year, we focused on workforce. We touched on it in 2021, but we really wanted to expand the look on the pharmacy workforce because there were so many challenges that the hospitals were having with pharmacists and pharmacy technicians. And there's a pharmacy advancement initiative focus as well, correct? Uh, Yes, that's correct, Dan. We do focus on the PAI, the Pharmacy Advancement Initiative. And there's a number of questions that we've explored in the survey pretty consistently for the past few years. One of those is on pharmacists' independent prescribing. The second is how uh, data analytics are being used, particularly beyond just smart pump reports or barcode medication reports, but to advanced analytics such as AI, which is, as we're hearing, is exploding in so many industries where pharmacy technicians are contributing in non-traditional areas. And finally, pharmacists in ambulatory clinics as transitions of care are increasingly important. Uh, Those are the areas that we focused on for the PAI initiative. Got it. Who are the respondents? Who are you sending the survey out to characterize all of this work? Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. And I think it's important to understand what this does represent. So there's about 5,000 general and children's medical surgical hospitals in the United States. We survey a sample of those, and we do what we call stratified sampling, making sure that we have a distribution of facilities from each of different staff bed categories all the way from less than 50 in different uh, gradations, all the way up to 600 beds, staff beds and above. And we survey about 14, 1500, uh, very close to 1500 of the hospitals to get a representation of what's happening in each of the different hospital bed sizes. 
And the typical respondent, is it the pharmacy executive that you're hoping will be the respondent for the hospital? Yes, Dan. So we send the survey out to the pharmacy director at those facilities, and we ask them to answer the questions based on their facility and not the system. So oftentimes what we've heard, though, is that many of the pharmacy directors, particularly at medium to larger size facilities, will get residents involved as a teaching tool and or they will get their other pharmacy managers involved make sure that they're responding in a way that represents really what their hospital is doing for the data in the national survey. And Craig, you emphasize that the different types of hospitals and having a representative sample. And in the article that's published in AJHP, the readers can also find data tables that stratify by hospital size, for example. Yes, that's the first table actually in the in the publication. And I think one of the reasons why we do present that information that way is so that readers can understand really what the universe of hospitals are that we're talking about here and that we've surveyed and that they can understand who's responded by hospital size. Got it. So Mike with sort of that as a backdrop, what are some of the key findings from the 2022 survey? Well, uh, Dan, as you noted, we we had a few areas that we focused on, and uh, I'll get started with probably one of the hottest topics, which has been the technician workforce. And we know from our own ASHP surveys over the past several years that this is a really pressing issue for pharmacy leaders and just our ability to provide care for our patients. Uh, There's... um, substantial turnover, as our survey shows. I I think the important thing to note, one, is we're not alone in this. You know, this is not a pharmacy technician issue. It's a healthcare workforce issue. We're seeing burnout among nurses wanting to leave their job, physicians retiring early, primary care physicians who are, there's an estimated almost $1 billion in excess healthcare expenditure due to primary care physician turnover. So this is not isolated to the pharmacy workforce, but we do see some really concerning trends within specifically within pharmacy technicians. Notably, the vacancy rate for FTE positions has reached over 12%. So that's been for two years now. So we use a combination of objective data, FTEs, combined with uh, resignations and terminations to calculate some numbers. And then we also use some subjective measure, which is the perception of what is the availability of the workforce. So as I noted, the, the vacancy trends Um, That's one of the more objective numbers that we have. But the perception question has been one that we've asked for, you know, going back near the beginning of the survey and starting probably about eight, nine years ago, we started to see an increase in a perceived shortage of entry level technicians that was climbing up from about 20 to to 30 percent. The most recent two years were about 75% of directors saying there's a shortage of entry level technicians. When you expand that to experienced technicians, we're now over 90% of directors saying there is a shortage of these experienced technicians. And then when you add a sterile compounding component, those those additional skills and training that it takes to go into the clean room, uh, that's also over 90%. So the pharmacy executives are finding a very difficult time getting qualified pharmacy technicians. And it's, you know, it's unfortunate, but we know we're competing with the Amazons and the Walmarts and the targets of the world that are increasing their pay. And so these additional skills and the hours that it takes 
to go through the training and certification. And unfortunately, our compensation is not quite there. So, Mike, on that point, I mean, you talk about competition with the the Amazons of the world. Did you ask in the survey about strategies that are being used to try to mitigate the shortage? And if so, what are some of those? What did you find there? Yeah, we actually asked a couple of questions, Dan. The one was operationally, how are you managing these shortages? So what are you doing because you don't have the workforce available to you? And it's interesting to see some of the trends that are different from last year, the first time we asked this, to the second year. And I kind of put them in two buckets. One is the emergent, how are we going to get through this? And that means pulling pharmacists to do technician roles. We're going to decline time off or vacation requests using more overtime. Those aren't sustainable in the long term, but they will help get people through the urgent, that emergent need for for staff. And we actually saw some of those decrease from 2021 to the 2022 results while seeing other things increase. So we saw an increase in outsourcing and premix, which makes sense. You know, it might hit your budget a little bit more, but it's more efficient from a staffing perspective. We also saw more in 2022 who took no changes. They did not have to make any changes to adjust. So either they had already compensated for the tech shortage or they were able to fill enough positions that they didn't have to implement some of these operational changes. And then from the human resources perspective, in 2021, there were far less respondents who were doing things like off-cycle wage increases or paying for professional development, implementing pharmacy career or technician career ladders. When we fast forward to 2022, um, far more institutions were were pushing those types of initiatives for job recruitment and retention. Um, So we shifted from this sort of acute to this immediate management of the shortage to how are we going to address this and prevent this in the long term? So we, we found that those results were interesting. Got it. So, Craig, as someone who's sitting in a pharmacy executive's chair, what would you add in terms of the the technician shortage and what you learned from the survey and really what it means in practice? Dan, I think the biggest issue that pharmacy leaders are having to face today is just the high rate of turnover of technicians. It's very difficult to find technicians. And when you do find somebody, and you think that you're going to have full staffing right around the corner, somebody else is leaving. And they can be leaving for a lot of reasons. It could be because they are going to another uh, pharmacy employer. It could be that they've taken another position within their own health system that isn't in the pharmacy. It could be that they're choosing to go back to school As Mike said, pay is an issue for pharmacy technicians. And I know that, as Mike mentioned, a lot of facilities have implemented off-cycle wage increases. The most common approach, which is, uh, I think, very positive, and also looking at career ladders and non-traditional roles to make the job more interesting than the typical uh, pharmacy technician activities which our technicians are very, very good at. But the challenge is what you do is you are in a position where you're in constant turnover. So training of those people becomes a big burden on the system. We know that turnover is expensive. And the other thing that we found in the survey is that many facilities have decreased their expectations for the credentials that these technicians have. Whereas 
It used to be more common to require uh, like a certified uh, technician credential before they enter the position. Many of them have decreased that because they just can't find the people with those credentials. And Craig, what about pharmacists? Are we going to see another shortage? My crystal ball is not very good on that, Dan. It's hard for me to say. I know that there are more pharmacy schools than ever, and they're turning out more pharmacists, which is good to help prevent us from being in a high shortage situation. I think the reality is today, though, that hospitals are looking for a higher trained individual. We're limited on the number of residency positions that are available, which does provide uh, the greatest training opportunity that uh, new practitioners can get in health systems. We only have so many, and I know that each year uh, many students are disappointed that they do not match, but I think that the reality is, is that Where we're seeing shortages of pharmacists is with some of the most experienced people. COVID changed the world. And what I mean by that is we had a lot of people say, you know what? I've worked a long time. I'm in a great position. I financially don't need to work any longer, and I'm going to choose to just not work. So what we saw in the survey for pharmacists this year in 20 for the 2022 survey was we saw a jump again in perceived shortages of leaders. And I think that that's because we had a lot of leaders retire, leave the profession or go work for somebody else outside of an acute care environment. Uh, We also saw increases in the number of directors that said that there was a shortage of experienced pharmacists. I can speak for my health system where we did see that we had leaders leave. We did see where we had a lot of experienced pharmacists leave. So I think that that's the challenge for us today. We have vacancy rates that are higher than they have been in quite some time, 2021 and 2022. We had vacancy rates bump up for pharmacists, as well as what Mike said for technicians. So I think that there's a lot of challenges also for the pharmacist workforce, Dan. And Mike, stepping away from the national survey for a moment, but compounding what Craig just talked about, we're also seeing a decrease in the pipeline of pharmacy students. We we know that admissions to pharmacy schools, schools and colleges of pharmacy have decreased. And also, I believe this is the first year that we're starting to see increases in the number of residency positions that went unfilled. Uh, so there, there seems to be a pipeline issue as well. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it seems that way, Dan, at least from the admission standpoint. You know, one thing I've not had a chance to do that I'd like to do is look at the because, as you noted, there, there are some decreases in the number of graduates, is the number of decreased residency candidates commensurate with the decrease? Is it proportional to what it's been? So historically, are we at the same proportion seeking residents? But yeah, it's. I think it's a concerning trend from the standpoint of, of you know, wanting people who can come in day one, 
without a lot of training. And that's what the pharmacy leaders are looking for, especially as they fill some of these voids from experienced pharmacists who are leaving and leaders that are leaving. So the, the number of residency trained pharmacists at health systems has increased substantially, as you would guess, over the past 15 years. But over the last three to four years, has really been somewhat stagnant at about 33% of, of the workforce. Um, and obviously, ASHP would like to see that number increase. On the other hand, we are seeing a substantial jump in board certification. Um, so those who are actually established practitioners, you know, you need to either have a PGY-1 residency or three years of experience to apply for board certification. Those numbers have increased again over the last 15 years, uh, up to about 30% of directors say that they're 30% of their staff have these credentials. So we continue to see growth in these professional development, professional certifications. But as far as the pipeline, you know, that that remains to be seen. I think Craig put it best when the crystal ball is a little murky. Don't know exactly what that means. Hopefully within the health system, we remain stable. Craig, one of the things that you talked about was the, you know, you talked about early retirements, you talked about COVID changing everything. Something that was really apparent in healthcare even before COVID was issues, concerns around well-being, resilience, depression, burnout, even suicide rates uh, among healthcare professionals. You asked questions about well-being and resilience in the survey. What did you find this year? Yeah, Dan, we do recognize that this is important as a way to keep the workforce well-being healthy. And so we asked about burnout tracking, if organizations are putting efforts toward that. And we saw a fair, the last time we asked about it was four years ago. It was 2018. And we saw a big jump uh, where it went from about 22 or so percent of facilities actually were tracking burnout to over a third. So it was 34 percent in 2022, which I think is meaningful in the sense that directors and organizations are realizing, as you said, that burnout is a real issue for health professionals. It's not a job that, that comes without just a lot of stress at times. Uh, we're dealing with highly impactful patient conditions. It's not easy at times. So more organizations are doing that. The other thing that we asked about is what they're doing to prevent and burnout and promote well-being. That also increased from around 69% of facilities up to over 83% of facilities. So again, a big jump for really thinking about how to prevent burnout and how to promote well-being. What are some of the strategies that the respondents are using? So for burnout tracking, one of the most common, med, commonly mentioned strategies was staff engagement surveys. These can be incredibly powerful tools if the data are acted upon. And what I mean by that is actually evaluating what staff had to say, talking with the staff about what is in those surveys, and developing plans for how to address the concerns that have been brought out in those staff engagement surveys. The other things that hospitals are following are, are just job turnover, the types of things that we would typically look at. And I think we've, as we mentioned earlier, turnover's up. 
morale of staff, although that's tough to, to measure, but really trying to pay attention to that, looking at attendance. Just because someone isn't there doesn't mean that, that there there's, it could be a lot of reasons why they're not there and really getting to the bottom of that and engaging with them and connecting them to the resources that they need, which is really part of that. How do you promote well-being of staff? Employee assistance programs are very important, and most organizations have them, and reminding staff that those resources are there. It is an external way that you can connect staff outside of their pharmacy department to mental health professionals and others, be it financial assistance, other assistance that they need, just talking through things. It's very important. So those are some of the things that that organizations are doing. Mike, just last week, there's an NPR story on hospital at home. It's interesting that you started to include it in the survey. What did you learn? Well, as you as you mentioned, Dan, this is something that we just recently added, and part of it was due to some flexibilities that CMS implemented in response to the COVID-19 public health emergency. But we, you know, one of the best things about the national survey is if we can get on the leading edge of a trend, we can track the implementation of that trend nearly from the beginning. So Hospital at Home is a program that there's potential for better outcomes, can reduce costs, it's better patient satisfaction. From a pharmacy perspective, there are some challenges as far as medication storage and security, um, delivery of medications, but it still seems to be the right thing to do for the patient. What we found is that, uh, you know, as I said, we're on the leading edge, only about 9% of hospitals that we surveyed were participating in a hospital at home program. Somewhat encouragingly, 12.1% stated that they had plans to develop their own hospital at home program. So we may see continued growth over this. I anticipate it's something that we'll we'll continue to ask over the, the next several years to see if there is growth. As far as the, just because the hospital is engaged in hospital at home doesn't mean that the pharmacy department's engaged. Um, so we were, we saw that 65% of respondents said that yes, and this is of those who actually have a program. So of those around 9%, um, 65% of those said, yes, we have a, we, we have pharmacy involved. And for the most part, they're involved with the dispensing of medication, but they're also involved, two-thirds of those were also involved with clinical services, which is, of course, where we provide a lot of the value for patient care. So we'd like to see more growth both in the hospital at home, but also in pharmacy leadership within the hospital at home program and, and providing more clinical services than, than just providing the medications. You know, Craig, that leads me to, to think about the ASHP pharmacy forecast report, where with that report, we try to look at trends that are coming down the road in the next five years so that pharmacy leaders can think about where they need to be planning strategically with their their pharmacy enterprises. And Mike's point about hospital at home, the data and some situations where pharmacy departments are not engaged in their organization's hospital at home program. What's the role of the ASHP National Survey for strategic planning by departments of pharmacy, maybe hand in hand with the pharmacy forecast report? The issue of hospital at home seems to really crystallize this for me. I think that we've used the national survey over the 20 plus years that I've been involved with the survey 
to really try to profile what's happening in practice. And sometimes we miss the beginning and other times we try to and are successful in getting on top of what that beginning looks like. Sometimes we're able to nail it and ask the right question the first time. Other times we don't ask the right question. So we don't necessarily get the trending data that we can demonstrate. One of the things that we've seen in the survey over time, though, is when we get on the leading edge and we're able to trend it, we can really see the impact of all of the energy that goes around some of these important developments and advancements in pharmacy. Another example uh, that, that I'll give, besides the uh, hospital at home initiative, uh, which I think is going to grow, patient, like Mike said, patient satisfaction is going to be much higher if they can be in their own home uh, rather than stuck in a hospital uh, being woken up <laughs> frequently <laughs> to get their vital signs taken and just a lot of things that are not great. Alarms going off in the, in the hospital, in the room next door that they can hear. But besides that, there's so many things that we've, we've thought about that is sort of the next area. So AI, machine learning, what's going to happen as we think about and have heard about chat GPT, right? We've heard that this is going to change the world. I've heard from my daughter in school uh, that schools are addressing what that might look like as far as uh, how they can write papers. So in pharmacy and in health systems, what is that going to look like for processing of medication orders? Where is that going to lead us? No one really knows at this point. I think that we've been developing some higher order decision-making processes with uh, the way that we've built our EHRs, and that's been growing over time. But I think that that's probably one of the next big things in healthcare is how do we integrate what technology can help provide us to improve patient care. So you've both mentioned leading edge at least once or twice. And with that in mind, that thought that you just put out there, Craig, what's in the works for the 2023 national survey? Yeah, so we're really focusing in the 2023 survey on really technology and how technology is impacting pharmacy operations. So that will be my opportunity to provide a plug to anyone who's listening to this podcast. If you do happen to get the 2023 survey in the mail or by email, we would really appreciate if you would take uh, the time to fill it out because it does help shape uh, our thinking around what's happening in pharmacy practice in hospitals, uh, as well as help shape really what hospitals should be thinking about. And when do the 2023 surveys go out? We're anticipating launch of the 2023 survey right around Memorial Day, so right around the corner. And data will be ready for presentation at the mid-year clinical meeting in December? Yes, well, we will present it at the mid-year clinical meeting in December, and the publication should appear in AJHP you know, in the first half of 2024, as the normal cycle is. 
Got it. Well, with that, that's all the time we have today. I want to thank Dr. Craig Peterson and Dr. Michael Ganio for joining us to discuss their article, ASHP National Survey of Pharmacy Practice and Hospital Settings, Workforce 2022, which was recently published on AJHP.org. Please join us here each month for discussions on contemporary practice issues and interviews with AJHP authors. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your colleagues and via your social media of choice. Thank you for listening to AJHP Voices. For more information about AJHP, the premier source for impactful, relevant, and cutting-edge professional and scientific content that drives optimal medication use and health outcomes, please visit AJHP.org.